Welcome and thank you for listening to River Valley Church Fresno's podcast. For more information on us, please log in to our website, rvcfresno.com, or you can find us at the App Store, River Valley Church Fresno. Hey, welcome to RVC Online. Thank you so much for joining us again today as we began last week a series in the book of Jonah. And uh, what we've been learning and what we will learn throughout this series is we'll, we'll see the heart of God. He's got a, a heart of compassion for sinners that he wanted to send Jonah to go and proclaim judgment was coming so that they might receive mercy, as well as his compassion for Jonah, this disobedient saint. Uh, last week, we looked at Jonah running. Jonah was running away from the call of God on his life. He was running from the presence of God. And certainly, uh, we saw how God intervened and he ran right into the mercy of God. Today, we're looking at Jonah praying, chapter two. You know, God will let us run. God will let you and I, uh, if we want to wander off from him, he's quite willing to let us just make decisions in our own life. Uh, but he'll always be after us. He will always be searching us out, and he'll, he'll be working in our hearts. And, and what we find is when we make steps of disobedience and we say, God, I don't want you to be in charge of my life anymore like Jonah did. God, I'm ready to be done with what you called me to do. I don't even want to be around you as he ran from God's presence three times in chapter one. It tells us that uh, is that God will allow the circumstances of our disobedience, the, um, the storms, if you would, that are attached to our disobedience to begin to speak to us uh, those repercussions of our choices. And it begins to like really draw us back to a relationship with God. Um, as we read together chapter two this morning, uh, or today, or whenever you're watching, you'll see that uh, inside of the belly of the fish, God was working and doing something inside of the heart of the prophet. So it's Jonah chapter two. Actually, let's look at verse 17. After he's tossed overboard, the storm had calmed, and it says in verse 17 of chapter one, and the Lord appointed uh, a fish, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed over are upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, verse 10 says, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now here inside the belly of this fish, well, we don't know what it is, but it was certainly uh, some animal that God created that it would swallow up Jonah in that moment that he was drowning in the sea. 
that we see that God was working something so powerful in the heart of this runaway uh, prodigal prophet named Jonah. Here's a couple things that I want you to note with me. Number one, we see that Jonah is swallowed up quite literally and figuratively. He's swallowed up in despair. As he talks about it was in distress that he called upon the Lord. Uh, in verse 17, he, he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, we don't know if that's when he actually decided to pray. Stubbornly, I'm going to wait until that final moment. I feel like I'm going to die. But, you know, he was there three days and three nights. Jonah becomes a, a picture as Jesus said, as Jonah was in the heart of the, or the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days and three nights, speaking of not only Jesus' death, but also his resurrection, even as Jonah has his own resurrection, if you would, as he's thrown up out of this fish. Uh, what led to Jonah being hurled overboard? Remember, he had run from God's call. He was running from God's presence. Uh, and, and here we see that he's really despairing of his own life. He says, I don't care what happens to me. Toss me overboard because I know it's because of me that you guys are in the storm speaking to the sailors. It's as if this, this prophet, this, this faithful prophet is backsliding downward away from everything that God was calling and asking him to do. It was as if he was saying, I would rather die than to obey the Lord and to see my enemies the Assyrians receive mercy. That's a bad place to be in life when you just despair even of your own life saying, I'd rather die than to follow what God is asking me to do. Now again, God said to him, go and tell the Assyrians, tell the Ninevites that judgment is coming. Uh, Jonah says, nope, negative, not gonna do it. Uh, as far away from God's call and God's presence, he ran, but he ran into the hand of God's mercy. God swallows him up with this fish, so that he might work in his heart and bring him back around to understanding of, uh, of what it means to serve the Lord and to experience God's blessing. His pride, his rebellion, his disobedience, that's what led to this place of despair in his life, and he thought he was going to die. He created such a mess of his life, and isn't that true? When we decide to wander off from God, we have friends or loved ones that say, you know what, I'm going to do life my own way, I'm not going to follow God's way, it brings such a mess in a person's life. And yet we see, as Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy. God intervenes in Jonah's life. He appoints a fish. And I wonder in that moment, as Jonah like, you know, comes up for air and boom, he gets swallowed up by a fish. It's like, man, can life get any worse? Here he thinks that this is his end, and yet it's really the beginning of God doing a fresh work in Jonah's life. The fish becomes the means of saving his life, and also the place where God does a work in Jonah, as Jonah's in the belly of this fish. It's interesting how God appoints something, that might be uncomfortable, it might be uh, difficult, it might be a tight situation like Jonah found himself as the seaweeds wrapped around his head and as he describes the, you know, the bars that were you know, surrounding him perhaps as the fish was plunging down to the lower parts of the ocean and coming back up, he felt that squeeze and in that tight you know, situation uh, that sometimes God uh, allows that difficulty to be our salvation, to be like what wakes us up. That's what's going on in his life. God orchestrates circumstances to teach us lessons, to teach Jonah a lesson. And it yields a great result, man, when you and I let it speak. 
oh, this situation is causing me to reevaluate my desire to run from God, to disobey the Lord, to say, I'll do it on my own, God. And yet, Lord is so faithful. He orchestrates this circumstance to bring something. Jonah, at some point, was drowning. He's overwhelmed by his mess. And then we see that Jonah mentions, man, I remembered the Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to, to look at me w- with this morning, today, is that Jonah was swallowed up in despair, but then he reaches up, number two, in prayer, and he describes his experience in verse two through six. The, verse two is really a summary of his prayer. He called out from a place of distress. He felt like that death was imminent in his life. Now, I don't know if Jonah waited three days I don't know if he was praying throughout his whole journey, you know, coming in and out of consciousness uh, in the belly of this fish. But eventually, and if it was three days, man, what a stubborn, stubborn man Jonah was. But God brought him to that place of surrender. Uh, Let me tell you, the, the more stubborn you are, the more stubborn we are, uh, with, you know, I'm not going to go back to God or I'm not going to repent of this, uh, the harder it is on you, the more difficult life gets for us. What will it take, we might look at somebody and say, what's it going to take for them to drop to their knees in humility and to surrender to God? The more stubborn you are, friend, man, the, the harder it's going to be on you because God loves you and he's not going to relent until you turn back and experience his grace once again. You know, as we read through this, this prayer of Jonah, you know, as he talks about uh, uh, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the, uh, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. He mentions that, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I, sh- yet I should look again or upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. And, and then he mentions in, in verse 6, yet you brought up my life from the pit. You know, his prayer was almost direct quotations from uh, many of the Psalms that we find. And so we see that Jonah had all these Psalms coming into his head. You know, the book of Psalms was the Hebrews hymnal. They would sing these songs, these truths about God, the human experience, um, what we can expect from God. And, uh, and here they are coming out in his prayer to the Lord out of the belly of the fish. Uh, Psalm 118, verse five, it says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. In distress, gang, that's a great time to pray. That's a perfect time to pray. And Jonah would tell us, as well as the Psalms that he had memorized in his head, that God hears and God answers. You know, what other options do you have when it feels hopeless in life, right? Man, I guess I'm at the bottom. I've got to reach up to God. It was only then when Jonah was in distress that he could see his great need for God. He thought, I could do it on my own. I don't need to obey the Lord. It's in that moment of distress that he reached up to God because it was the only time he could actually see his need for God. As it's been said, he got to the end of his rope. Man, I'm at the end of my rope. What else can I do? I'm stuck in the belly of this fish. I'm probably going to die here. And he reaches up to God in prayer. He says, Lord, in my distress, I prayed to you as he quoted Psalm 118. And the Lord answered me and set me free. Uh, It's interesting how much Jonah's prayer is filled with the words of the Psalms. And it's all coming back to him. 
You know, one of the Psalms that didn't come to his mind was Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? But he has all these truths. Again, Psalm 120, another direct quote. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Essentially, Jonah is this, this prayer is like a psalm of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for rescuing me from danger, allowing me not to drown even though I'm uncomfortable in this fish, and delivering me from death. You know, Jonah acknowledges two things in his, in his prayer to the Lord. Number one, he acknowledges that it was, you know, he acknowledges God's role in this. He knows it was God who did it. Uh, he, he, knew, he knew it was the Lord. Even though the sailors are the one who tossed him over, he knew it was the Lord that had him tossed over into the, into the waters. Uh, that this was discipline. <clears throat> this was the loving hand of God that was coming to Jonah to wake him up. Uh, it's important for us to recognize when we choose to walk in disobedience and we stay, instead of repenting, we stay stubborn and we refuse to repent. We turn away from the Lord. We need to know and acknowledge, man, but God is working. He's working and using this tight situation, this storm that arises out of my disobedience, really to bring a benefit into my life, to get my attention, really to bring me back to uh, a place of fellowship with the Lord again. It's divine correction that happened to him. Uh, on one hand, that's frightening, isn't it? Man, I can't, I can't pull a fast one on God. He loves you uh, more, more uh, passionately than your own parents could ever love you. God loves you like that. God loves me like that. And so he doesn't allow us to get away with things because he loves us so much. And he brings that divine correction, that divine discipline into our lives. Uh, so it is frightening, but it's also comforting that Jonah was never able to get away from God's sight. God always had his eye on Jonah. God's hands were always working on, in Jonah's life. And it was hands of love and mercy. We, we uh, mentioned last week, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, talking about discipline that comes from the Lord. I want to read uh, a part of what, uh, what we read in Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11. It says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, do, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine, uh, divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? I think a lot of us can <laughs> in the 21st century. We know a lot of kids not disciplined, but back in this day, Everyone was disciplined by dad. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, <clears throat> it means that you are an illegitimate child and are not really his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they know how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Notice this, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Jonah knew this, this was God's doing but it was to bring him back, to bring about God's best in our life. He's convicted 
in his heart that he's rebelled against God. He's confessing his sin. And that's what God would bring discipline in our lives so that we would be trained by it, is what the author says in Hebrews 12. So that we do have that conviction and we do uh, find our lives confessing our sin before God and getting back on track. You know, Psalm 119, David says this in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. It's in faithfulness because he loves us like a father and he disciplines us when we wander, man, to get us back to experiencing his goodness once again in our lives. He acknowledges that it was God who did it, but he also acknowledges his reality. He's in real trouble. Man, when you pray to the Lord, man, you get real with God. And that's what Jonah does. He says in verse 2, I'm in the place of the dead. I'm in the belly of Sheol. That was the grave. And so he's like, God, I am good for dead. And maybe he had moments where his life flashed before him. He's having a near-death experience. In verse 4, he says he felt like that he was so far away from God. And and it was over for Jonah. He didn't have, in the beginning of verse 4, it's like he's he's saying, this is my experience. Um, I didn't see how I could ever get back to God. How am I ever going to get out of this fish? Here I am going to die inside the belly of this fish. I can't get back to God. That's a lie, by the way, that we too often believe from the enemy. That that this, you've you've done it this time, you went too far. Right, You're too far gone for God to accept you. You know, there are many, many people that you and I know and care about that have uh, made a mess of their life. They've walked away from God. Perhaps they walked away from their loved ones. They're just living their life the way they want to live. And and there's the the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. I want to draw you back. I want to forgive you. I want to get you back on track. I want you to live the life that I've called you to live, experience the abundant life I've come to give to you, and yet there's another voice that they hear, like, God will never accept you. You've gone too far. Look, at you're stuck inside the belly of a fish. Pagans were trying to save you, and, and even then they couldn't do it, and so they tossed you overboard. You've gone too far, Jonah. The reality is, yes, he's in a mess. The reality is, when we walk away from God or friends and loved ones of ours that have walked away from the Lord. Uh, Yes, they're in a mess, but guess what? God is there with them in the mess. God is right there with Jonah in this mess that he's in. And it's his, it's his love, it's his, it's his compassion. He's teaching him. He's reminding him of his love. That's why these songs of you know the Hebrew hymnal, the book of Psalms, is coming to his mind once again. God used this in his life. Afflictions are good when they're from the Lord out of our disobedience, and they're ultimately bringing us back to cry out to the Lord, right? His circumstances led him to cry out to the Lord. You know, James 5, 13 says, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. He doesn't say what they're suffering from. We'd imagine it could be because of their disobedience. Hey, you're going through a hard time right now? Great time to pray. A great time to pray to press into the Lord. Jonah found God there in the belly of the fish as he reached up in prayer. Jonah found God's grace there in the belly of the fish. You and I always need to come to this conclusion, by the way, no matter how far one drifts, how big of a mess a person creates, there's still hope. If you still have breath inside of your lungs, you still have 
another opportunity to get things right and back on track with the Lord. That's what God is doing here. He's always, as it's been said, a God of another chance. You know, our closest times with the Lord often are those times when the Lord's disciplining us and we are experiencing a time of affliction, even if it wasn't from the Lord out of our disobedience. It's just life circumstances, trials that come to our, uh, in, our in our lives. Our closest times with God sometimes are in those kinds of moments. I wonder if Jonah would say that one day when we see him in heaven, that it was in that belly of the fish that he felt so close to the Lord. Uh, I read a quote this week. You, you, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have, right? That's where Jonah's at. What else do I have? Got nothing I can do except pray to the Lord. And that's what he does. Psalm 119, verse 67. I used to wander off. Until you discipline me, now I closely follow your word. God lovingly brings discipline to get us back on track. And what David said in Psalm 119 is that I used to wander off and then you came with your hand of correction and now I'm closely following your word. We see Jonah now telling us that he was lifted up in number three, lifted up out of the pit. In verse six, he says, you brought me up, rescued out of the pit. Apart from God's intervention, Jonah was as good as dead, and he knew it. Every breath is a gift. Every day is a gift. God is good to Jonah. God is good to us. Jonah did nothing to deserve this, but he received, and he was the recipient of grace and mercy from the Lord. Man, I, I don't want it any other way. Uh, mercy is not getting what you deserve. God spared Jonah. He deserved to die. Grace is getting what you and I don't deserve. And here Jonah finds mercy and grace. We don't want to ask God to be fair. Lord, look at all the things I've been doing for you. Because fair would bring judgment into your life. Fair would bring judgment into my life. I want mercy. You look at Luke chapter 15, another passage that I think is, is really a parallel story, if you would. The two sons, we'll get to it in chapter four, the two sons of this, this man, uh, the one who was a prodigal son who wandered off and he squandered all of his father's wealth as he said, Father, give me my inheritance now. He took it. He lived a wild party life. He had all kinds of friends, so all of his money was gone. He found himself desiring to eat the pigs he was looking after. I just, if I could just have their food. He was miserable. He's cold. He lost it all. And here uh, he deserved, when he, when he came back, you know, a lot of times uh, people think that the father ran to his son in Luke chapter 15 so that he would protect him because of the environment, his disrespect to the family, his disrespect to the father. He deserved to die. His father runs out perhaps to cover him and protect him as he deserved to die. He certainly didn't deserve a ring, a robe, and a big old party for his return. But what does the father say as people challenge that? Hey, why are you throwing him a party? Look what he's done to you. He said, this son of mine was lost and now he is found. You know what's interesting? He was, even though he wandered off from his father, he was never abandoned by the father. He always belonged to him. Even when he was away and he was in his mess, he was always a son. As he's lifted up in prayer, it's interesting. He says, uh, in verse seven, I remembered the Lord. So that's key. I remember the Lord. I remember that God is gracious, that he's all powerful, he's forgiving, and he can save me. In verse four, he felt like a castaway, and yet when he remembers the Lord, he's reassured of the facts. 
This is why we need to be in our Bibles on a regular, consistent basis. You and I, left to ourselves, we'll start imagining things that aren't true about God. You spend time in God's word, you realize that he is a gracious father. You spend time in his word, you realize that he is a, a merciful God who wants to forgive us of our sins and actually lead our lives and, and bring about abundant life for us. You know, I used to think that Jonah thanked God for his deliverance from the fish, but he hadn't been delivered yet. Verse 10 is when he got thrown up on the land, perhaps back where he began this journey away from God in the, uh, in the city of Joppa. But it, it was his, he was thanking God for his deliverance from death, from his rebellion, from his sinfulness. And now he's restored in fellowship once again with the Lord. You know, I would imagine that it was like, uh, Inside the belly, let's just say it was a mammal that swallowed him up. In 98 degrees, in all that stomach acid, and who knows what else is in there, you know, some, uh, you know, tires from cars and whatever else it swallowed up, you know what I mean? Straws that we've all been polluting our ocean with, masks floating around, which will be happening in the next five years. He's in the belly of this disgusting, you know, environment. But the greater hell was his missed fellowship from God. There's nothing worse than going, oh, I'm not close to the Lord. And he says, God, I thank you for delivering me from my rebellion. I love Psalm 103, verse 10. It says, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. See, God is a God of mercy and grace. That's why we need to be in our Bibles so we understand who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. He says, Lord, thank you for saving me. We would tell Jonah, don't waste this, Jonah. Don't waste this moment of realization that you need God and you need his grace. Be trained by it, as the author of Hebrews 12, verse 11 says. Uh, it's a time to regain some traction with the Lord, so regain some traction in kingdom living and serving him and obeying him. You know, Jonah and the sailors, they had a similar uh, experience, didn't they? Uh, there was The sailors experienced distress uh, on the sea, Jonah experienced distress in the sea. Uh, prayer was offered, uh, deliverance came, and they made sacrifices and vows. And then Jonah wraps up his prayer by, by teaching us some lessons. He learned the hard way, and you and I can actually uh, learn them the easy way. Uh, this is really just kind of some bullet points I want you to take away, and I want you to think about what lesson did, did, that I'm about to share that Jonah teaches us as he wraps up this little prayer time in this belly of this fish, what lesson do you need to say, God, I want to pray it into my life. I want to learn from it right now everything that you want to teach me in this so that my life can stay on track serving the Lord, getting back serving the Lord, whatever it is, whatever your circumstances is. First, here's the first one. It's an obvious one. Uh, you can avoid a lot of mess. Don't run from God. <laughs> like, don't... If you choose to follow the Lord and be obedient to him, guess what? You don't have to have a Jonah chapter two moment in your life. This is what we tell our kids, you know. Man, you don't have to drink gutter water, friend, to know that it tastes disgusting. Learn from other people's messes and mistakes so that you don't have to leave that beautiful fellowship with the Lord. Man, you stay on track with him. Here's the second one. God answers the cry 
of those in distress. I love that, man. Uh, as James said, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. He didn't say, is anyone suffering? Well, get your crud together and, and start living right, and then you can call upon the Lord. No, in your moment of distress, you don't have to get your act together. You don't have to prove to God you got this. If you're in a mess, cry out to the Lord. Ask God for help. Jonah said, I remembered the Lord and all of his graciousnesses and mercy, and it led him to say, God, I need your help. I'm crying out to you in my distress. Here's another one. Believing lies keep us from God's best. When he said in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Idols keep you from the life that God has for you. Uh, as someone said, it, idols block people from receiving God's grace. That's what uh, Jonah is referring here to. Now, certainly he's looking at the sailors and all their idols they could do nothing for them. They're made by, you know, uh, a craftsman. You know, they have to be carried around. There's no life in them. They're just a dead idol. But they represent a lie that keeps people and blocks them away from experiencing God's grace and his steadfast love. They represent deception and lies. He could see the, 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 the uh, idols that the pagans worshipped, that they were useless. But he, he wasn't able to see the subtle idols in his own heart, the lies, vain idols, the lie that I can run away from God without repercussion, the lie that, that I, know more, I know better for my life than God does. Boy, how many of us struggle with that? Lord, I got this. I, I, don't, I don't trust you with my life. So I'm in a, uh, you know, that's a, that's a vain idol in our life. Uh, that I can find happiness in disobedience from the Lord. How many have believed that lie, that, uh, that vain idol of I can do whatever I want because God wants me to be happy. And if God, you know, doesn't want me to be happy, I still want to chase after this. Only to find that it brings such mess in a person's life. And the lack of uh, uh, the opposite of happiness, it brings discouragement and despair as you and I walk away from the Lord. Uh, the lie that obeying God would be miserable, yet we find it to be the best. Isn't that crazy? The Lord's telling Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh, proclaim the message that I give. And Jonah's thinking, you know what? I'm going to be miserable doing that. How many people have forsaken the call of God on their life because they think that, you know, God wants to make them unhappy? Oh, if you do this, man, God's just tricking you, man. He doesn't want you to have a happy life. That's why he's calling you to do this. Obeying God will make you miserable. What a vain lie, an idol in a person's life. Believing those lies keeps us from God's best and experiencing his grace. It was hell for Jonah to be out of fellowship with the Lord. Now he's restored. Here's another. that We need to understand that God, and we certainly do from the story of Jonah, that he's a God of another chance. Jonah, you alive? You alive, bro? Yeah, I'm alive. Well, pay your vows now. Worship your God and obey his call. It's as if Jonah was saying, God, I, I'm, I'm bringing this thankful heart to you. I will worship you. I'll stay close to you this time. And Lord, I'm going to serve you. It, has God got you out of a mess? Has God saved your marriage? Has God restored your brokenness that you brought into your own life? Man, keep serving him then when life gets a little easier, right? Keep going to church and allowing God to use your life. Uh, when you're not in a crisis mode anymore. That's the beautiful part about, you know, Jonah is he said, Lord, I'll pay my vows. And the 
fish throws him up. And we'll learn in chapter three that he's like, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to obey the Lord this time. Be faithful. Another opportunity to serve the Lord and obey is coming. He's a God of another chance. Here's the last one. This may be the most, maybe the biggest theme in the whole Bible. It's this. Jonah declares this truth. It was personal to him because he was saved, delivered from his own mess in life and, and potential death. But it's a true statement overall about eternal salvation. It's salvation is a work of God. That's a main lesson in, in that Jonah's story teaches us about God's grace, about God's amazing grace. He, his deliverance came from God because God is gracious. Jonah could do nothing to get himself out of this circumstance. Salvation came to Jonah that day to save him out of that mess. It's also true of our, our, our eternal salvation. It is a work of God. Salvation is God's work for us not our work for God. If you struggle, maybe you grew up in a religious environment where you better do this, right? Uh, because if you want God to accept you, you got to do this and this and this and this, you know? Religion has is, is been said as man's attempt to reach God. Do all these things and, and God will accept you. The gospel has a different uh, message. It's that you and I aren't looking for God and you and I can do nothing to please God, uh, it's that God reached down to save us. He reached down in the person of Jesus Christ to live a life none of us could ever live, ultimately to go to the cross so he could be uh, my substitute, your substitute, if you would, where, where my sin, your sin, all the sins of this world deserve God's wrath. And Jesus went to the cross to take the wrath my sin deserved, to take my sin upon himself, as if he committed every sin that's ever been committed in this world. In exchange, because he loved us, he gave us all of his righteousness so that our sin is gone and now we have this right relationship with God. Salvation is a work that only God can do. If you're saved, it's not because you did anything. It's because God did everything for you. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8 and 9, great passage to memorize. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? This is not your own doing. It's, it's a work that God has done so that none of us can boast. We are saved by grace through our simple faith and trust in him. Grace sets Christianity apart from every other religion where it's do and God will accept you. The gospel is we can't do it. So Christ has done what we cannot do as a substitute on the cross. When you realize that, when we realize what Jonah is realizing, salvation is of God. Salvation is from the Lord. Man, you can rest from your works and you're stressing out. Am I doing enough for God to love me? Am I doing enough for God to accept me? Listen, you are accepted in his kingdom <clears throat> because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Salvation is a work of God. If anybody is saved, it was all God because God reached down to us as we read last week, Romans 5, 8, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I love grace. Jonah loves grace and Jonah learned a lot about grace, but he still has a lot more to learn. As we find in chapter four, he's disturbed. I receive grace, but I don't want those people to receive grace. Well, that's when you and I know that we still have a long way to go, becoming more and more made into the image of Jesus Christ. And an example would be forgiveness. Paul says, forgive those, right, as Christ has forgiven us. 
As God in Christ has forgiven us, you and I are to forgive one another. That is grace. When we finally understand that, I don't have to work for my salvation. There's nothing I could do to improve my standing before God right now. I need to freely give out that kind of love and grace to those who are around me in the, in the, in the area of forgiveness and saying, yes, Lord, I love to see even my enemies to be saved. <clears throat> salvation is from the Lord. God can save anybody he wants, even our enemies, as Jonah is going to find out. So what lessons do you need to focus on this week? Man, take one of them. I mentioned five here. Dig in your Bible this week. Read through Jonah's prayer and and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart some areas perhaps that he wants to reinforce in your life and to help you grow. Next week, we're going to look at chapter three, Jonah preaching and, uh, and proclaiming a message, and unfortunately, it doesn't go as he was hoping it would go, we read about in chapter four. But you know, as we wrap up today, let me ask you this. Do, do you need to come to him today? Do you need to come back to him? God is a God of mercy and forgiveness, but you've got to drop to your knees. You've got to realize that you're a sinner. You've got to recognize that Jesus went to the cross for you personally and died for you and rose again from the dead. But you've got to personally say, God, come into my life. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. There's, there's no magical prayer. You just say, God, you just come to a place in your life where you're just ready to surrender. God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I want you to come into my life and to make me a new person today. God, I want to walk with you from this day forward. God, thank you for your love that you would send Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, help me to walk with you all the days of my life. You pray that prayer. The Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life and he'll make you a new person. If anyone is in Christ, behold, all things, all the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Man, if you prayed that today or this week or you surrendered to the Lord, reach out to us. We want to we want to welcome you into the family of God as our brother and sister. And we'd love to help you uh, grow in your relationship with God. We've got some stuff we can help send you some material that will help you understand what does it look like to walk with God. Uh, God bless you. Join us, Jonah chapter three, next week, right here on our YouTube channel.